It is the final Friday of January 2024, the 26th, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, not just preserving Cherokee language, but using it. Have people that are learning the language be voiceover actors in animations that we generate or work with others. So we have to find ways for people to use this in their lives. And part of that is, can you make a living using the language? A conversation with Cherokee Nation Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. Plus, expanding outdoor business in Northwest Arkansas. Owners of other very popular businesses around here or... Um, you know, professional athletes. And 60 performers use just 60 seconds on stage. 60 individual artists each get 60 seconds to perform their heart's desire. And those desires of performance are very broadly defined. The rules for 60 performers with 60 seconds each at the Medium in Springdale. First, 300 seconds of NPR News. Little Wing Productions presents Los Lobos, coming to City Auditorium in Eureka Springs with special guests The Brothers Moore, March 9th. Los Lobos, known for songs like One Time, One Night, and their 1987 version of La Bamba. Tickets on sale now at tickets.thundertix.com. Rave Cultural Foundation presents Yuva Utsav, February 10th at Record Event Space from 5 to 8.30 p.m. The program will feature captivating performances of Indian Carnatic music and Katak dance, showcasing violin and radangam, as well as Radha Veradon performing Katak dance. Tickets at ra-veculturalfoundation.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday. January 26th, 24. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for being with us. Let's start this Friday by looking at some of the news we learned about this week with Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics. Michael, good news. It's the last Friday of January. Well, I, it's been a long time since I've known a month to have 12 Fridays, but sure, good. I'm glad it's the last one. Here we go. Well, let's start off with something that, you know, was a bit of a surprise, right? This um, this pursuance of a federal grant for broad sustainability programs in Fort Smith? Well, it was somewhat of a surprise to myself and Tina, but it, it popped up during a recent um, Fort Smith board meeting. Um, but yeah, the, the city, uh, and apparently they've been working for some time developing these partnerships around the state, including the uh, Arkansas Advanced Energy Association, um, Fort Smith Public Schools, uh, Western Arkansas Planning Development District, even um, the um, the Metro Plan Group in Central Arkansas and the Northwest, excuse me, the Northwest Arkansas Regional Planning Commission. Uh, the EPA has a four point three billion dollar grant program out there that helps communities, metro areas, cities um, develop plans and impl- implement plans to become uh, essentially to reduce all types of emissions, become much more of a a green city, a cleaner city, a cleaner region. So um, they're pursuing this. I think um, we'll know in October um, what they're seeking. They don't yet have an amount, not at least in our interview. We'll, we'll try to also find out how much some of the other partners are seeking to see if there's a, a bigger package. Um, one of the things I've found interesting, and it is that they're going to be working with Enforcement Public School District and the University of Arkansas at Fort Smith to tie in, and I, I think this is clever, so kudos to the city and all the other partners, but to, you know, if you're going to move to these new emissions and different types of technologies and energy 
production and energy reduction, some of that's going to require new methods of construction, new methods of maintenance, that kind of thing. So they are partnering with these two uh, institutions for workforce development, train people on how to, um, you know, do these type of things, install, maintain, um, included in some K through 12 education. So I just think that's pretty interesting and forward thinking. So hopefully as they bring this on board, they'll be bringing on uh, new jobs with it. And we'll know more in the fall. Yeah, I think we, um, October is when we were told that the grants will be awarded. We hope to get more information from the city, uh, about specifics of what they're applying for. All right. It has been since the turn of the century that there has been um, as many as 30,000 manufacturing jobs in Fort Smith. It's been several years since there's been as many as 20,000, but getting closer. Some have been added in, well, we're learning that some will be added with an announcement, uh, announcement from Umarex USA. Who is Umarex? Yeah, Umarex, it's a company. It's owned by, it's a German-owned company. Uh, but they make um, a lot of a lot of weapons. They make both um, the big handguns. They make the uh, the popular um, uh, handgun that's used by uh, 007, uh, James Bond. Uh, you know the fictional James Bond. Mm-hmm. They also make a lot of airsoft uh, guns and components. But they've had a plant a facility, both uh, research, development, manufacturing, warehousing. Um, uh, in, in Fort Smith or really uh, Chaffee Crossing since 2010. But they've announced a recent $30 million expansion at about 76 jobs uh, once it's complete. So, and as you noted, yeah, it, 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 anytime we get manufacturing jobs, um, no matter how few or uh, how many, it's always welcome. Because as you noted, um, the force of manufacturing peak employment uh, was 31,200 in June of 99, and that's down. Uh, the most recent number was down to 18,500. So, uh, you know, a lot of that was Whirlpool leaving with all their um, suppliers. So, uh, yeah, good to, good to see Umarex back. You know, we've had expansion at Mars, uh, Owens Corning, and some other uh, manufacturers. So uh, it's it's you know we're not going to get back to that thirty one thousand maybe ever and not overnight but a little bit helps. All right, we've handed out the Emmys, we've handed out the Golden Globes. This week we had the Oscar nominations announced. Talk business and politics also getting into award season. You're looking for nominations. Yeah, and we'll try not to snub anybody like Greta <laughs> uh, or the others. But yeah. um, but yes, we have several um, award programs: Fast Fifteen, Women in Business, Forty Under Forty. Uh, C-suite that recognize top C top CEOs who are um, doing incredible things in their companies, but all those award programs are going to be coming up through the year. Uh, it never fails. Every time we announce, you know who the the recipients are, we have people say, "Gosh, I didn't know we would have nominated so and so." So here's another way I'm trying to get the word out. Um, you can apply. You can go to the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal part of our website. Um, and it's easy to go through the application process. The deadlines are there. Um, we made the deadlines clear. So I encourage everyone to go look at that and see if there's someone 
you think that is deserving of one of those uh, programs. Well, one of the first, the first deadline out of that is the women in business deadline. That's in April. I know you've done forty yeah. under forty. I want to see y'all start a sixty who are maintaining after sixty. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will let the AARP handle that one. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Well, older yeah. than 60 years old is Garrison Avenue, right downtown Fort oh, Smith. Okay. One of the oldest, uh, you know, still extant things about the city. I love Garrison Avenue. And there's discussion what Garrison Avenue can or might be in the future. Yeah, so um, a long time ago, and I'm trying to remember who it was, because I don't want to take credit for this, but someone who was interested in promoting downtown Fort Smith to be more of a tourism and, um, you know, people attraction place said that the, the best thing about downtown Fort Smith uh, is Garrison Avenue. And the worst thing about downtown Fort Smith is Garrison Avenue. And so, um, and what, what that person was trying to say is that, you know, everybody loves it. The first time I remember when I worked at the Fort Smith Chamber of Commerce, I always loved, seeing people's eyes when they saw Garrison Avenue for the first time because, mm-hmm. you know, just a big wide Avenue. It's just that classic, um, you know, downtown city look, but at the same time, it's not very pedestrian friendly. It's not, it's not like a Dixon Avenue or, you know, a, a typical square downtown like you have in Fayetteville or Bentonville and Rogers. So it's, you know, it's difficult for pedestrians to cross. We have trucks rumble through downtown. That's going to have to be an issue, but, where I'm going with this is the central business improvement district. They are, and I, for the first time in a long time, I think there's some political will, there's some political influence. Um, and they are pursuing some plans, some real world plans to create what they're calling for now connections, but it's essentially ways to tie Garrison Avenue into other parts of the city. Um, and much broader parts of the city and also make Garrison Avenue much more pedestrian friendly, more friendly to bicycles um, and that kind of thing. So um, they're working through some plans. MAHG, the architecture firm is working on ideas. And I think um, later this year, I I would not be surprised if the CBID has some pretty clear uh, practical, doable in terms of financial and political viability uh, options to make downtown Fort Smith uh, uh, better in terms of being pedestrian, tourist, consumer friendly. Yeah, the, I love, as I mentioned, I love Garrison Avenue. The one thing is, if you're going to go from one side to the other on the crosswalk, you can't be slow. No. It's a yeah, it's a wide you, street. You better, yeah, if you're one of us 60 over 60 folks, you better <laughs> you better right. hoof it. Finally, <laughs> it's it's a you know, I know it's the last Friday in January, but let's talk some baseball. 3 weeks from today, the Arkansas Razorbacks begin their season. It was announced earlier this week that the Kansas City Royals will play an exhibition game in Springdale against the Northwest uh Northwest Arkansas Naturals and Artists. <laughs> and and thank you for the folks with the Ford Smith baseball team part of the Mid-America League for not overthinking it and picking Marshalls as the mascot. Yeah, it wasn't a surprise, but yeah, it's not only did a good mascot, but I think they've done a pretty good job with their logo and the artwork for the uniforms. But yes, um, and gosh, I can't believe the Razorback basketball program is going so well you don't move on <laughs> to baseball. But yeah, um, but yeah the Marshalls, uh, it's this Mid-America League. They begin play 
uh, in August, um, or excuse me, not August, uh, in May, uh, and end in early August, it's 68 game schedule. I don't know how they don't, they haven't told us how many teams are active yet, but, um, and I'll just kind of end with this. I've not always been a huge baseball fan, but I, I have to admit for some reason, I don't really know why I, there's a little boy part of me that's kind of coming out and is kind of eager to go watch these, this team play and see their loco. And um, I think they're working with the university of Arkansas, Fort Smith for a lease for their baseball field in the first year or two. But again, I've never been a big baseball fan, but I'm, I kind of want to go watch them now. I can't wait till uh, they play Abilene. Did you see what Abilene has announced as their mascot? No, no, I have not. The flying bison. Okay. Yeah, I'm well, sure that there's uh, some city connection there, and by this time next week, I'll know what it is. How's that? So we can change our thing from when pigs fly to when bison fly. Exactly. <laughs> you can read about all of these and make your dominations for the Talk Business and Politics Awards at talkbusiness.net. Michael, when we talk again, it will be Groundhog Day. I look forward to that. Okay, well, we'll try not to repeat what we just talked about today. (laughs) Very good. Thank you, Michael. All right, later. Callum Turner stars in a big new production and also appears in a lot of tabloid headlines alongside Dua Lipa. I love my job, and um, I just want to keep making movies, and everything else is just everything else. Making the new World War II series, Masters of the Air, and all the latest news, Saturday and Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend edition, tomorrow morning, beginning at 7. This week, Cherokee Nation Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. signed the permanent reauthorization of the Durban Feeling Language Preservation Act, an event that took place inside the Durban Feeling Language Center in Tahlequah. This legislation will provide millions of dollars annually to teach, preserve, and spread the use of the language. Chief Hoskin says this week's designation extends the life of a bill that was first enacted before the pandemic. So in 2019, uh, the Deputy Chief and I, Brian Warner, proposed something called the Durban Feeling Language Preservation Act, named after, uh, at that time, a, a living great advocate for the Cherokee language, Durban Feeling. He's since passed away. It was always designed to be a pilot approach. It was going to sunset this year. We wanted to see if the additional dollars would produce results. They have produced results, and it also enabled us to build a state-of-the-art, more than $20 million dollar Uh, language preservation campus, which we're expanding. Making this permanent uh, has allowed us to take what we've learned in the last four years, put it into this law in terms of some structure, and also put some more dollars into areas we need to invest in terms of more capital projects. So we found out we needed to build a middle school for our immersion kids that are coming through the younger programs, that we need to geographically expand where we're building language offices and campuses because we've got language people speaking out in the communities that need to live close to where the language is being saved. And so all of this has meant more investment, more structure, but we do have a roadmap now, and that's why we made it permanent, that can take us, I think, decades into the future. I have not been to the Durban Feeling Language Center. What what does it look like? What What's included? 
Well, it's a beautiful building, and so when you walk in, uh, if you go to your left, you can uh, see what is really amazing, which is little kids, kindergarten through sixth grade, in fact, even younger than that, because we have a baby immersion component, uh, and they're learning reading, writing, arithmetic in the Cherokee language. We had that before, but what we have now is a space that's really worthy of their efforts, the efforts of their teachers, which is a mix of first language fluent speakers and second language learners. Uh, so you get to see that kids playing in these beautiful playgrounds and learning spaces. And if you go on the other end of the building, you see things like our translation department where they're busy translating historic documents, contemporary documents. You see something else exciting, which is a master apprentice program. These are folks that are uh, adults, but often young adults, and many times they have teaching degrees. They're learning to get on their way to fluency, and part of that is so they can end up on the other end of that building teaching those little kids as we grow that program. So there's real synergy there. There's a real sort of circular investment that feeds both of those ideas. And then in between, you have other things, people, learn, people uh, learning to use technology and adapting that to the language, people involved in creative arts. There's a lot going on in this building. Having everybody in one spot, though, helps us because after years of being dispersed in different offices across Tahlequah and other parts of the Cherokee Nation, getting everybody together, there's something that adds value to the whole project. And it also symbolizes something. This is a beautiful, impressive building, and I think it sends a message to the Cherokee people in the world that we're serious about this investment. It's, I mean, kindergarten through middle school, that's that's how a language survives, right? I know many of us from personal experience trying to learn a language that's not our first language as we get older is a little bit more difficult. It is. So those are critical years. You know, you and I might struggle learning a second language. I don't know about you, but I would. But when we were younger, we could sure absorb it a lot better, just kind of the way our brains are wired. That's what science tells us. And so those years are critical. Um, there's really two things we have to do, though, with the Cherokee language. What you and I just talked about in terms of the school that increases the supply of speakers, and we have to do that. And the Master Apprentice Program for the adults, that increases the supply of speakers. We've got to make sure the demand is there, and part of the demand is those teaching uh, opportunities, but not only in-house. Here's what we're seeing that's exciting. Oklahoma public schools that historically kind of helped push the language out now want it back in, so we are finding interesting opportunities to send our graduates to Oklahoma schools and partnering with them on teaching the language. We got to do something beyond that. And so I mentioned earlier the creative arts and technology. Those are opportunities for us to, for example, have people that are learning the language be voiceover actors in animations that we generate or work with others. So we have to find ways for people to use this in their lives. And part of that is, can you make a living using the language? We've got to explore those opportunities. But we have a roadmap, I think, that can help us get there. You have a roadmap, and you also have in this legislation a biennial mandate that progress has to be reported. Absolutely. I think no matter what we're doing at the Cherokee Nation, any government, any organization, you got to look at what you're doing and is it effective. This is a lot of money, and I could compare it to a lot of different investments that we make. I'll give you an example. This year, we'll put $19 million minimum into college scholarships. So we ought to measure what that does. So compare that to what we're doing just in the language program. We're doing a minimum of $18 million just operating dollars for our language program. We want to make sure we're getting our money's worth. And so part of what we're going to do is measure 
how we're doing to save the language. And it kind of comes down to how many fluent speakers are we creating? How many kids are going into immersion school and are they being successful academically? What are they doing as they're leaving uh, school and going to college? We have to be, I think, willing to be honest with ourselves about whether this investment's paying off. Our sense is that it is paying off, but I think this legislation forces us to look at the results, make adjustments as we need to, as any organization should. I think in the past 10, 15, 20 years when I've read about the Cherokee language, sometimes I'd see the word emergency attached to its existence. Uh, how how close were we ever to to losing the language? Well, I think we've been very close. I think it's been a very, a very fragile uh, element of our culture for some time. We have 2,000 fluent speakers left, first language fluent speakers. They're on average over the age of 70. Uh, the biggest enemy we have now in terms of our language is the passage of time and the fragility of human life. And so mindful of that, there's a real urgency. So I think we're still a little bit on the ropes, but I think we're really close to turning a corner. Uh, this strategy that we have, the great capacity that we have in terms of people that are translating and teaching and exploring the creative arts and technology, we've got the pieces in place to save this language. We've got to keep our foot on the gas in terms of these dollars that we're putting in. And ultimately, it's going to come down to whether the Cherokee people want to save this. Do they want to send their kids to an immersion school? Do they want to live a life in which they use the language day to day? And that's a decision we have to make individually. But I think we've got the right strategy, but this language was on its way to being a footnote in history. Not not on my watch, because other chiefs have been building us up. Um, but I think we're to a point now where we can say, hey, we're, we're going to have this language for years to come. We just got to have a strategy that works. Imagine using those statistics you gave me, 2,000 uh, first language speakers, most of them 70 or older. You've got a lot of parents who have children in these classes who are not perhaps fluent in Cherokee, there could be some sort of nice effect backwards, right? There could. And that actually is what makes uh, immersion education the most effective is, uh, you know, a, a child spending all day in class speaking Cherokee is impactful. If they go home and can continue that at some level, it's even more impactful and they internalize it more. But it, yeah, it can work the other way. You can have parents and we've heard anecdotally about this happening and then we have a really uh, wonderful uh, situation where one of our families that live in what we call our language village, which is a, a village of, uh, of homes next to our Durban Filling Language Center. We've got a mom and dad who are in the Master Apprentice program, and we've got the child who's in immersion. That family spends all day, every day speaking Cherokee, and it's really beautiful, and I think it symbolizes what we're trying to do. And it's been a busy week. You mentioned scholarships earlier in our conversation. On Tuesday, I think it was, a new merit scholarships uh, signed into law. That's right. So we had a pre-existing program that'll continue where we put about $19 million. That's really open access. If you live within the Cherokee Nation, it's, it's open access. But we even extend that to Cherokees that live all over the country, including in the great state of Arkansas. What we've done now, though, is add about $95,000 in new merit scholarships. Uh, we hadn't had a, really a merit scholarship program. We're developing it. I think it shows this is a great investment. We're moving in the right direction. Uh, every year, the good news is we have more Cherokees going to college. We have to find the dollars to fund the scholarships. And every year we find them. But that's all an investment. We know that's the reason we're able to grow uh, as a government, as businesses, as a society. And, and it's just, I think, the right thing to do. Chief Hoskin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, sir. Cherokee Nation Chief Chuck Hoskin, Jr., 
talked with me from his office in Tahlequah via Zoom yesterday. You can learn more about the Durban Feeling Language Center at language.cherokee.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, January 26th, 2024. I'm Kyle Kellums. Later on our show, if you had 60 seconds and only 60 seconds to perform on stage in front of an audience, what would you do? Next month, 60 people will have that opportunity. I have a little description from each of them of what they might do. But but other than our rules, no glitter, no blood, no fire, no animal over 100 pounds, we're pretty open to what can happen. We learn more about the 60 in 60 event taking place at the Medium early next month, later this hour. This is Ozarks at Large. With me on the phone from her office in Bella Vista is Becca Martin-Brown, the arts and entertainment editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. I'm almost in full voice again. Yes. Yes, the healing continues. And because it is the 56th of January. (laughs) Right. And because it was a long week by 10 o'clock Monday morning. (laughs) Right. I'm going to treat myself and hopefully a bunch of you by talking about theater. Well, and, you know, I have a a journalism colleague who says, I can't believe anybody cares about local theater. They had auditions this week for the first Arkansas Public Theater show on the new stage after the remodeling of the Victory Theater. Mm-hmm. They're doing Sondheim's Into the Woods. Do you know how many people they had try out? How many? 90. Just less than 90 people try out. That's into the forest, not the woods. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently Northwest Arkansas likes theater. Yes, we do. And that's good because APT just announced season 39. Okay, season 38, which starts with Into the Woods in April, it's just three shows. But last weekend they announced season 39 which starts in September. More than three shows. Would you like me to tell you what they are? I would, yes. Starting in September with Tootsie, Mm -hmm. A Christmas Story in December, which, you know, is Roger's very own play because of the Red Ryder BB gun. Sondheim's Assassins in February. I'm looking forward to that. A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum in April. May is The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Oh, I remember when the national tour came to Walton Arts Center several years ago, and that was really an impressive show. I'll be interested to see how they do it at uh, Victory Theater. In August of 2025, 9 to 5, the musical. What you can see right now at the Walton Arts Center is Jagged Little Pill, based on music by Alanis Morissette, but not her story. Right. So it's not a jukebox musical, exactly. It's got a storyline. It's just using her music to tie it all together. 
This is the Tours Arkansas premiere. Happens at 8 o'clock tonight, 2 and 8 tomorrow, and 2 on Sunday. Tickets start at $42 at the Walton Art Center in Fayetteville. Then at Arts Live, also in Fayetteville, they're doing what sounds to me like a really thought-provoking show. It's called Ascension Day. This is youth theater. And this particular play is set in a Wisconsin Bible camp in the summer of 1947. How choices made in youth can alter the course of a lifetime. 7 o'clock today, 2 and 7 tomorrow, 2 on Sunday at Arts Live on Sang Avenue. Tickets are $12 for adults. They recommend ages 10 and up. At the Thaden Thaden School Performing Arts Center, produced by Trike Theater, one of my favorite shows for kids. And that is? The Velveteen Rabbit. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, no. I can't do that. I can't do oh, that. Oh, does show. it make you cry? Oh my God. The book, the, the whatever it is. I can't uh can't do it. I think it's a wonderful production. Just, you know, if you've got a a young one who's sensitive or maybe especially attached to a stuffed animal, you know, think about it. Think about it before going. I That's think all. this one's going to be even more poignant for the adults too, because it starts with a young adult looking back on his childhood. Ugh. I think it will be an amazing show, but do know that it is a very emotional show. Mm-hmm. 6.30 today, 2 and 6.30 tomorrow, 2 on Sunday at the Satan School Performing Arts Center in Bentonville, $15 for adults, younger than 18, free, so they can watch Mom and Dad cry for free. <laughs> Young Actors Guild in Van Buren, I really want to get down and see this one, is doing a new show to community theater in Arkansas. It's called Sherlock the musical. Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson, a high-ranking government official disappears and Sherlock must race against time to solve the mystery and uncover a more sinister plot than they could have imagined. And it happens at 7 o'clock on February 2nd, 2 and 7 on February 3rd, and 2 on February 4th at the Van Buren Fine Arts Center. You can get tickets at weareyagyoungactorsguild.com. I've even got theater for you from the rest of Arkansas. Let's go. Weekend Theater in Little Rock continues its run of Yellow Man, a mm-hmm. story about a black woman who dreams of life beyond the confines of her small southern town upbringing. Okay. Tickets are $20. Shows are 7.30 Thursday through Saturday and 2.30 Sunday through February 4th. And you can find out more at weekendtheater.org. That's in Little Rock. Pine Bluff, the Arts and Science Center for Southeast Arkansas, is doing The Secret Garden. Oh, wow. Okay. And that's this weekend only, 7.30 today and Saturday. And to Sunday, you can find out more by calling 870-536-3375. Or, of course, Google Arts and Science Center for Southeast Arkansas. Excellent. Oh, and don't forget what the Constitution means to me at Theater Squared. Oh, right. Yeah. I wasn't going to talk about that till next week, but the story's coming Sunday. Okay. All right. You gave us a lot of theater to consider. I know. It's a good thing we like theater. That's right. Oh, and Charlie Brown is coming up at Fort Smith Little Theater. We'll have that next week, too. I can't wait to hear more about Chuck. Becca Martin-Brown is the Arts and Entertainment Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Thank you, Becca. See you next week, guys.
For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A terrible plane crash took the life of Arkansas's top New Deal official in 1936. W.R. Dias, the state's Work Progress Administration chief, and WPA Finance Director Robert McNair were among 14 passengers on a plane flying from Memphis to Little Rock on January 14, 1936. Airport officials lost contact with the plane at 7.14 p.m. About the same time, a St. Francis County farmer heard a deafening roar and reported a possible plane crash. Police officers headed into a swampy area north of Highway 70 and found the plane's wreckage scattered over 400 yards and 5 feet of water. There were no survivors, and the Arkansas Gazette reported that bodies, slashed and broken, went hurtling through the trees, scattered like so many marbles tossed out of a bag. Life had ended for all of them before they landed in the marsh and were covered by the waters of the oozing swamp. Officials honored Dias by naming Colonization Project No. 1 in Mississippi County after him. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. The U.S. Postal Service is buying a half dozen electric vehicles from Canoe, the car manufacturer with operations in Arkansas and Oklahoma. According to a press release from the company, the Postal Service will purchase six right-hand drive versions of the Canoe Lifestyle Delivery Vehicle 190. The company says the deal is part of the Postal Service's $40 billion plan to upgrade and improve the service's process, transportation, and delivery networks. A new report from the American Lung Association released this week gives Arkansas mostly failing grades when it comes to tobacco regulation. The 22nd annual State of Tobacco Control Report assigns grades of F to Arkansas when it comes to funding for state tobacco prevention programs, the level of state tobacco taxes, and for efforts to end the sale of flavored tobacco products. The report does give Arkansas two C grades, one for the strength of smoke-free workplace laws and the other for access to tobacco cessation programs. Authors of the report suggest Arkansas legislators make sure tobacco cessation programs are covered by Medicaid and that they also repeal preemption of local tobacco control authority. The full report from the American Lung Association can be found at lung.com. One of my favorite new shows is The Curse. It's about the sinister side of home improvement TV, but it's also about the difference between wanting to do good and wanting to seem good. It's weird because when somebody's trying so hard to be good, it makes you feel really disgusting. Co-creator Benny Safdie on Chasing Moral Purity. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Tomorrow morning at 10 on KUAF. Monday on Ozarks at Large, January 1975. There was a new Arkansas state senator, there was a new Arkansas governor, and there was a new speed limit. Uh, we won't start enforcement until uh, the highway department completes um, the erection of all these signs statewide, and they tell us it'll be about 30 days before they do this. Do you expect most Arkansans to comply? I think so. I think, by and large, the majority of the people will voluntarily comply with it. Uh, but there are... A few individuals who won't, just like they didn't comply with the 75-mile-an-hour limit, and uh, those are the people we'll have to take enforcement action against. Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History brings us sounds of the January that was from 1975. Gas shortages, changing of the political guard, and the carpenters. That's Monday on Ozarks at Law. Wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Wait. Wait. Mr. 
University of Arkansas is continuing to sponsor the future of the outdoor recreation industry in Northwest Arkansas. GORP, or the Greenhouse Outdoor Recreation Program, recently unveiled its newest cohort of small businesses. The program's fifth cohort is as diverse as ever, from a company renting high-quality, affordable outdoor gear to another working on an AI-powered hunting scope. Ozarks at Large's Jack Travis reached out to program director Phil Shellhammer to learn more. The University of Arkansas's flagship business incubator, the Greenhouse Outdoor Recreation Program, or GORP, announced its spring 2024 cohort of businesses earlier this week. The Small Business Startup Incubator is led by the Office of Entrepreneurship and Innovation. The program takes place over 12 weeks, offering companies hands-on mentorship from outdoor industry leaders and $15,000 of non-dilutive seed funding. That initial grant funding is the owners to do with as they wish and does not require them to relinquish equity in their business. The spring 2024 GORP cohort includes eight companies, all of which are located within Northwest Arkansas. The new group brings the total number of GORP-sponsored companies to 33. The new startups encompass many different facets of outdoor recreation, like hunting, on-demand gear rental, fly fishing, and cycling. Phil Shellhammer is the Senior Director of Business Incubation for the Greenhouse Program. And he says he is always excited by GORP's consistently diverse groups of founders. This spring's cohort is no different. We just have this unique group of backgrounds and experiences. People have done some really interesting things outside of their core business they're building right now, like you know, owners of other very popular businesses around here, or um, you know, professional athletes, or um, you know, just people who have been. Uh, have been driving a passion in a certain category for a while, and now they're putting together a uh, a business around where their passions lie. It's, it's a fascinating group to sit around and talk to. One of those founders, who is an owner of a previously established company, is Rick Spicer. He's one of the founders of Pack Rat Outdoor Center in Fayetteville. He is also the founder of Backcountry Quiver, which is incorporated in Gorp's new cohort. Through the small business, he creates handcrafted accessories for backcountry bow hunters. Shellhammer says Backcountry Quiver started as an Etsy side hustle for Spicer, but through GORP, he will be able to grow into a larger brand. Another unique business leader in the new cohort is professional gravel cyclist Paige Onweller. She's building a company called Rosie Up, which aims to, quote, create a supportive and safe environment for female cyclists to foster confidence, skill development, and community. Therefore, women feel empowered and safe while riding or racing on gravel roads, which are usually located in rural, isolated spaces. Though the businesses in this cohort are all establishing themselves within Northwest Arkansas, Shellhammer says that wasn't purposeful. In fact, the Office of Entrepreneurship and Innovation received applications from all across the country. Um, the furthest app in this cohort was from San Diego, actually. But we, we try and we don't, we actually don't rate based on where they're located. Um, we do make sure people can make it to the cohort face to face. So that's important to us. But, um, but we've had people from as far as three and four hours away come up for the cohort meetings. So that's not a problem as long as they can make it there. So most of our judgment is based on the, where they're at in the company, how their application is strong, how much we think we can help. That's what we're looking for. We pick companies it just happened that most of them are all right here this time. Ozarks at Large previously reported 
on Gorp's Fall 2023 cohort, which demonstrated their brands last November. Shellhammer says that even though their work within the incubator ended, last year's business leaders still have their hands full of work, which is a good thing. The effect of Gorp tends to be the same for each company that goes through it. They get tremendous amount of, of learning and a, a, almost a massive to-do list of things to go do and fix um, or to work on. That's what the Gorp cohort provides them is, is, is just the knowledge of all the different things they have to think about as they're building a business for the first time. Um, but what often happens is after you leave the cohort, there's this, you know, oh my goodness, I've got so much to do. And so then they start to focus on, I've got to focus here first. I've got to get working. And so, you know, one company I met the other night is still kind of, they've got their app launched now on the, on the Apple store. Um, they're starting to get some, um, some of their close friends and early testers to kind of be using it and to give them feedback so that they know what to change on it. Right. So they're making progress. Um, and still trying to figure out what the business model is, still trying to figure out how it's going to play out, but definitely getting uh, further along as you know, they're, they build out this model. You can visit our website, ozarksatlarge.com, for more information about GORP and all happenings at the Office of Entrepreneurship and Innovation. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jack Travis. The medium in Springdale is celebrating any and almost all kinds of media early next month. The venue is a partner with Live in America in Springdale to present 60 in 60. The concept is both wonderfully simple and wildly bold. Give 60 people just 60 seconds to do whatever they want on stage with just a few restrictions. You can watch the fun Saturday night, February 3rd, beginning at 7 at the medium. The admission is free and it's open to all ages. We're promised roller skating, we're promised baton twirling, and so much more. Last night, I talked with Kara Martinez, the co-artistic director of Fusebox, the nonprofit leading the Live in America Festival and a Springdale residency connected to the program, and Amber Paradin, artist and community manager at The Medium. I wanted to find out more about this 60 in 60 show. I read from a promotional press release at the beginning of our conversation. Kara, this is attributed to you. This, (laughs) This says... The possibilities are endless. Singing, dancing, ballet, acting, reciting, twirling, dog tricks, clowning, short lectures, pontificating, video projections, karaoke madness, instrument playing, fashionizing, performative Play-Doh performances, ventriloquist delights, feats of strength, fantastical lights, sound landscaping, roller skating, and beyond. What the heck happened to plate spinning? Oh. Oh. We messed up. (laughs) So... Kara, help. I'm open to plate spinning as well. I bet you are. I bet you are, yeah. literally and figuratively. Uh, what did I just describe this endless possibility list? What What is happening? It is an event called 60 and 60. And the idea is that 60 individual artists each get 60 seconds to perform their heart's desire. And those desires of performance are very broadly defined. Um, there is a clock on it counting down their 60 seconds, and they perform back to back to back to back to back with just a tiny bit of transition between them. Um, we don't, I have a little description from each of them of what they might do, but but other than our rules, no glitter, no blood, no fire, no animal over a hundred pounds, we're pretty open to what can happen. 
Amber Perrin, let me bring you into this conversation because as long as I've known you and talked to you and as long as you've been the medium, this sounds like something you just embrace. Absolutely. We are so thrilled to partner with Live in America and have this incredible event at the medium. Uh, I just feel like it perfectly embodies everything that we're trying to achieve at the medium. Uh, we boast that we're a radically inclusive venue for creative expression. And this just hits the nail on the head. And plus, we just really admire everything that Kara is doing over at the residency house that she's got down the street from us. And so um, any opportunity to collaborate with her and, and this organization uh, just feels like a, a big win for all of us. Amber, you mentioned Live in America that is a partner. What can you tell us about Live in America? Well, Live in America is, um, wow, it's it's an incredible uh, organization that's under uh, Fusebox Festival. That This is what Kara is running, so she's more uh, likely to talk about it better than I can. But um, I can say that I was fortunate enough to work as a community partner uh, with Live in America before it came to the Springdale Residency House. Um, and I just really admire what this organization is doing, what their mission is, who they're supporting and how they're supporting them with uh, really deep radical care. So I feel like Kara is better equipped to talk about uh, more of what they do. Kara? Yeah, Live in America um, began as a festival that was at the momentary in the summer of 2024. And the idea was to welcome artists um, from all across the US, a little into Mexico and its territories into Canada, um, from places that we don't typically um, think of as like our major artistic centers, like New York and LA. Um, we were, those places were forbidden. Um, <laughs> but we included communities um, like El Paso Juarez, um, communities like York, Alabama, which is a tiny little community of 5,000 people in Alabama. And we said to them, like, what does performance mean in your community? And would you be willing to share it here at Nor in Northwest Arkansas at the momentary? So we had over 300 artists involved. Um, we did two weekends of performing. Um, we focused on a different community every day. We had nighttime programming. And Amber was really, and a small team of other local folks, Amber was really essential in helping us understand how to translate like what we wanted to do to best serve this local community um, with, with where and how we programmed. And along the way in planning that event, then um, some folks in Springdale approached us and were like, hey, what would you want to do next? And I was like, oh, I have always wanted to have an artist residency. I don't, I don't know a ton about artist residencies. I'm a person who sometimes gets herself into situations <laughs> that she must learn from. Um, but I love the idea of maintaining relationships across time and inviting artists from the festival to come stay in Springdale or inviting artists that I know who I will love Springdale to come and hang out for a while. And when they're here, um, we have community dinners, they offer workshops, and we look for ways to keep them over time involved in this community. So it builds on like the ethos of the festival um, with this idea of like maintaining good, healthy, artistic relationships across a really diverse group of communities. The 60 and 60 event, uh, which happens on Saturday, February 3rd, it this seems to like have 
you know, roots back to vaudeville or or blackout comedy where it is you if this one's not connecting, wait literally a minute and something else is coming. Yeah, we started this event. So the nonprofit I belong to is is um, we have like two branches, one in Arkansas, one in Austin, Texas. And then originally we were a little like punk theater company and we would do this event. And sometimes we couldn't even get 60 artists. Like I think I performed three times at one of these. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's the idea of having a creative restriction that kind of loosens the pressure of perfection it, it lets you experiment a little harder. It's only 60 seconds. You know, if you're messing it up, it'll be over pretty quickly. If, As an audience member, if you don't like it, just wait. Something is going to appear um, that will surprise you and delight you. And, and it's just, you're just moving them through in 60 seconds. And it's a great way to also, people who might not be able to participate in like being in a play or like that this is a thing that they can enter into and be successful without having to make a really long-term commitment to a project. And they also get to do some really weird fun things. (laughs) How do you curate it? How do you decide who's first and who's 44th and who's 60th? I'm going to figure that out this coming week. Um, (laughs) Um, I think it's like a pacing issue. We have a lot of music numbers, so we won't run those all back to back. You want to, there's like, for instance, two kinds of meditative pieces, one by a 10 year old and one by an experienced filmmaker. So we'll, we'll keep those apart from one another, but try to aim them at a place where maybe the audience needs a little break. Um, We have like several kids participating. So we want to think about like their nerves and make sure we're placing them in a lineup in a place where they're not going 59th. That's cruel. Mm. Um, Yeah, we just try to keep a variety of like back and forth amongst skill sets. But I literally do not know the vast majority of these people. So it is like rolling the dice based on their descriptions. I love this. Uh, Amber Barrett, let me bring you back in. I think you and I had a conversation a couple of years ago when we were talking about, you know, what the medium could do and and what the hopes were with you and your colleagues. And I remember using the word surprise. And it seems like surprise is going to be all over this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, when Kara first pitched this idea to us, she was describing it as fast, artsy chaos. Um, and so that's what we earmarked in our calendar for a while until we learned more of what Kara was talking about. But we're like, we'll hold the date for you. Um, and we earmarked it immediately because it is perfectly in alignment with uh, with our team and, and what excites us about coming to work every day. Um, we love to see artists of all mediums and knowing that Kara is paying each of these artists $100 um, for their 60 seconds is powerful. Um, a lot of these people, this will be their first time on stage and, and what an honor to get to walk away with $100. Um, so yeah, we're, we're just so excited for this event. And I think the surprise element, um, is invigorating and we're, we're ready for it. I cannot wait to see what unfolds and prepared and Kara Martinez. Thank you so much. And what would I say here? Cause you know, before a play, you say break a leg. What would I say before a 60 and 60? Maybe don't break a leg in this case. <laughs> we want all 
good luck and God bless. We want everyone to stay safe and have a good day. (laughs) The 60 in 60 event is Saturday night, February 3rd. That's one week from tomorrow night, beginning at 7 at the Medium in downtown Springdale. Tickets are free, open to all ages. They do ask that you register and reserve one of those free tickets. You can do that at Eventbrite. Just look for 60 and 60. I talked with Kara Martinez and Amber Perrin by Zoom last night. This is Ozarks at Large. Arkansas Razorback basketball scored a victory over Kentucky last night. The Razorback women defeated the Wildcats in Bud Walton Arena last night, 88-61. The victory means the Razorbacks are now 3-3 in SEC play. Arkansas will be in Columbia, Missouri Sunday to play Mizzou. The Razorback men have their own chance at Kentucky tomorrow, hosting the Wildcats at 5 in Bud Walton Arena. Also this weekend on the University of Arkansas campus, the Razorback Invitational Indoor Track Meet is at the Randall Tyson Track Center today and tomorrow. Razorback Gymnastics hosts Auburn tonight in Barnhill Arena. And the Razorback men's tennis team is home for matches against New Mexico and South Alabama tonight and Sunday, respectively, in the Billingsley Tennis Complex. That's pianist Jeff Holmes in the background, a tune entitled Waltz Number 3. And I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz. On this week's edition of the show, we'll hear music from Brian Blade and the Fellowship Band, Pat Metheny, Billy Childs, and more from Jeff Holmes. Tune in this Friday and Saturday for Shades of Jazz. Shades of Jazz with Robert Ginsberg tonight at 10 on 91.3 KUAF. Tomorrow from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m., on KUAF3, available on your HD radio at KUAF.com, and by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF3. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF, which happens to be a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors this Friday included Jack Travis, Michael Tilley, Becca Martin-Brown, Thanks so much. Today's show was put together in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio. We're also a podcast, and you can find our podcast wherever you already download the other podcasts. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. Theater Squared presents What the Constitution Means to Me, Heidi Schreck's reimagining of how this living document impacted four generations of women and what it means for the future of America. A New York Times critic's pick and a Pulitzer Prize finalist. This play is on stage through March 3rd, 777-7477 or theater2.org for tickets. Walton Arts Center's 10x10 Art Series presents the Galvin Cello Quartet, January 30th at 7 p.m. With members from China, Brazil, South Korea, and the U.S., this quartet presents works from a variety of cultural backgrounds. Their mission, to establish the Cello Quartet as a core part of the classical music world. For tickets, waltonartscenter.org.